Destiny Flynn Dreyer served in the National Guard for 13 years. She believed in military service. It was part of her family history. Her father served in the Air Force. He met her mother when he was stationed in Thailand, and her brother also served. But Destiny's belief in that military life started to change when she became a Gold Star wife. This is Out of Uniform, a podcast about the lives of veterans before, during, and after service. I'm Tim Kolzak, an Iraq Army combat vet, and I think it's important that civilians understand our world too. Destiny Flynn Dreyer was still in college when a friend in the National Guard suggested she apply for a job, a job that gave bonuses and would pay off part of her college loans. So in 2002, she joined the National Guard as a human resources specialist. So then I, I, I loved it. It fit my personality and the way that, that I led. And um, I love structure. Um, I love challenges because the military will definitely give you some challenges. And, and I, I thrived on that and purpose, a sense of purpose and a sense of being bigger than just myself. Fast forward a decade. Destiny, still in the Guard, meets someone who will change the course of her life. She was selected to be on the New Jersey National Guard's parachute team. One requirement was to attend Army Airborne School, something Destiny was pretty excited about. And that's where you learn how to put a parachute on and jump out of a plane or a helicopter. Marines go to Army Airborne School, too. And that's where Destiny crossed paths with Liam Flynn, an Irishman who came to the U.S. after September 11th with the goal of joining the Marines. And he did after he became a U.S. citizen. There was instant chemistry between Destiny and Liam. He was just one of those people that he was just so thoughtful and put a lot of thought into things and um, such a good listener. I just remember there would be times I'm just like, blah, 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 you know, diarrhea of the <laughs> mouth. And like, you're so, like, I'm like a little like chihuahua and I have like so much to say to you. And, uh-huh. and I would be like, are you even listening to me? And he would repeat everything that I said. And he would like write like specific things down. You know, he had like his, the typical like military loaded notebook. Destiny and Liam married less than a year after they met. And after their daughter Leilani was born, Destiny's priorities shifted to becoming a full-time mom. Liam was part of the Elite Marine Special Operations Command, or MARSOC. So his schedule was unpredictable, and he traveled a lot. And they had hard conversations about the dangers of his job. It's still painful for Destiny to relive those talks. What are your expectations for me if I was to pass away and... uh... And of course, nobody wants to talk about those things, but it's, I think because we were so open with each other, we talked about everything. And I just remember certain things that I like promised him. And I think um, till, you know, till this day, like I still like uphold his promises. And, um, you know, like we just made sure like um, financially, my daughter would always be set because he always told me, I don't want you to ever tell her no. And the moment that... Um, it's time for her to get married. Like, I want you to gift her with the wedding that she wants. And I want you to tell her it's from her father in heaven. So it's, um, it's hard when you meet like a man that um, his gift to his uh, child or to his daughter is like, she will always know how to like choose a man because of the way she's, you know, the way she's, 
sees me treating you. And, you know, like, unfortunately, my daughter was 11 months old, but I know that she's loved. She knows that she's loved, you know, by him. And I think she even till this day probably still feels it when she sees pictures. But we had those uncomfortable conversations because the probability of what he what he does for for work we just made sure things were like lined up down to like paperwork, you know, military, non-military stuff, certain things that I would teach her. Or I remember he said, take my daughter back to Ireland in the sense of like, let her know my roots and let her always be close to my family. Liam got orders to go to Florida in March of 2015. He described it to Destiny as a simple training, with helicopters. She dropped Liam off early in the morning at the Marsoc compound at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, where they lived. You know, it was like one of those weird mornings where it was like 4 a.m. when you're dropping them off. And, uh, you know, you you know, you know, always say the I love yous and the goodbyes and stuff. And I just remember like kind of driving off and, and looking. And I just, I, I still remember what, he's, what he was wearing that day. And a part of me was like, ah, you know, stop and say like, I love you again. But I told him like probably like three or four times already. And then, you know, I just, I like drove off, not ever thinking that was going to be like, you know, the last time I ever like see him, but you know. Liam Flynn was killed with six other Marines and four Louisiana National Guard soldiers in a helicopter crash off the coast of Florida. Destiny later flew to Dover Air Force Base the place where the remains of fallen service members are brought and prepared for release to their families. An honor called a dignified transfer. And I just, even watching that, I was still in, um, I wouldn't say denial. It was just like a, like a, just a weird feeling. It's going to sound really crazy, but when they were like pulling the Marines out, you know, and there's just something special about like, watching it, the amount of like grace and respect and honor that goes into that, that part where, you know, they're taking him, uh, you know, out of the plane. I was wondering which one is Liam, you know? And I just remember you just hope and pray that you get to see him one last time. Like, even though they're, they're passed away because I just wanted to touch him one more time. And unfortunately for my case, like he had a closed casket. Um, so that was like, that, that, that was like really hard to, to swallow. How, how hard was it to look at Leilani after that? Cause obviously she's very, <laughs> she looks very much like Liam. <laughs> yeah, she does. Um, I think that. It wasn't hard because it was a blessing in disguise mm. for me. And um, I think I thought about just as as she grew up, like not having such an amazing man in her life. I think that's what hurt like the most. Um, because when I look at her, like she was like my lifesaver. She was the, the person that, you know, you, you change your perspective. You know, I'm always talking about that in mindset and like, that's the person you got to live for. And I, I think um, for me, I just knew that I needed to get into a space where that I could provide her a life of like happiness without transferring any like trauma or victim 
a victimhood mentality. How, how did you feel like the Marine Corps? Obviously, we're going to get a lot into the Marine Corps on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not all of it good. Um, how do you feel like the Marine Corps handled that particular situation with you and how, and the days after? How did they treat you? So with the Marine Corps, my perspective is um, it's a check in the box. Um, you know, they, they have like their procedures and they have to hit these like circuit, like certain wickets. And it's like, okay, you know, we've, we've assigned her a casualty officer, like a uh, celebration of life. And it's just like, check this off, check that off. Um, and I am very grateful. I had an amazing casualty officer that was very understanding, um, very empathetic of my situation and, uh, made sure that I was taken care of. Um, as far as the Marine Corps, I mean... They didn't do anything special. Yeah. You know, um you felt like they were just checking that box with you. Oh yeah, most definitely. Um you know, after after a while you're kind of like treated kind of like a number. Um so that's why a lot of like gold star families like go to like the outside to like nonprofit organizations and stuff and um and I understand that you know there's like a certain mission that you know Marsoc has and this and that and and it isn't like their duty to make sure like legacies continue because I truly believe that's a family thing but I also believe that there's a lot of room for improvement um when it comes to like a a death of a service member and the way that you treat gold star families after that, you know, cause they put so much emphasis. Oh my gosh, you're a gold star family member. I'm going to put you on a pedestal for a year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then it's kind of like, all right, well that's done and over with. And, um, you know, that's, that's my reality and that's my perspective. Maybe other people don't share that same view, but, um, I mean, I, I obviously know other families and, and there's other families that feel the same way. A year later, Destiny met Danny Dreyer, a decorated Marsoc gunnery sergeant who'd served more than 15 years. This began a new chapter for Destiny, which brought happiness, and then more despair that further eroded her faith in the military. This is Out of Uniform. We'll be back shortly. Hey there. An Arm and a Leg is a show about why healthcare costs so freaking much and what we can maybe do about it. I'm Dan Weissman. I'm a reporter and I like a challenge. So my job on this show is to take one of the most enraging, terrifying, depressing parts of American life and bring you a show that's entertaining, empowering and useful. Where there's money, there'll be scams. I'm not going to lie. We can't win them all. But it turns out we don't have to lose them all either. I was so determined. Like, I was not going to go through all of this for nothing. You have to be willing to tell people in authority sometimes that you believe they're wrong. I'm not scared of these fools. That's when the politicians really started getting involved and they passed the law. It's like reading the postscript in a Dickens novel almost. You're like, oh, yeah, hey, look, now we can't chain children to, to factory machines. Like, what? Wait, what? That was legal before? <laughs> you can catch an arm and a leg at armandalegshow.com or wherever you get podcasts. This is Out of Uniform. I'm Tim Kolzak. Danny Dreher was a member of MARSOC, like Destiny's late husband. He reached out to Destiny to see how she was handling her grief and life as a Gold Star wife. 
I, I just never really felt comfortable besides, you know, like my close girlfriends and, and talking to anybody. So I think it was like the first person that I really like opened up to about it. And um, and there there was an admiration on both sides. You know, like he admired me for, for the way that I carried myself because he was like, you were really graceful. Um, and then we just became like really good friends. And then... And then they married in 2018. Destiny became pregnant before Danny deployed to Iraq, but his mission over there ended prematurely. A few hours after midnight on New Year's Day 2019, Danny was at a bar with several other Marsoc guys. According to Danny, a contractor, a former Green Beret, instigated an argument, and Danny said he stepped in to calm the situation. But things escalated, and the contractor wound up hurt. So when Danny first called me to tell me like the whole situation, like uh, for me, it's like, oh, okay, well, you didn't really, you didn't do anything wrong. So like, what's the, the big deal in a sense? Danny and two other MARSOC members, including a medical corpsman, took the injured contractor back to his quarters on the base. When his condition worsened, he was taken to the base hospital and then flown to Germany, where he later died. Almost immediately, the Marines' main law enforcement agency, the Naval Criminal Investigative Service, started to look into what happened. The Marsoc 3, as they're known, were put on a plane and sent home. After Danny arrived back in North Carolina, a Marsoc chaplain dropped him off at a gas station on a rural highway at 3 a.m. Danny's phone had been taken away for evidence, so he called Destiny from the chaplain's phone to come pick him up. It just went from zero to 100 from the point that he, he came back home. There's often a rush to judgment in moments of uncertainty. Rumors circulated that the Marsoc 3 had beaten and boot-stomped the contractor to death. And media headlines didn't exactly clear things up. They called the incident in Iraq a brawl, a street fight. And even though a few asked for Danny's take on what happened, they still painted him as part of a drunken trio who either killed someone or failed to live up to Marsoc's standard of behavior. Hailstorm of gossip what they thought happened it's like almost human error to just be like oh my gosh like did you hear and then the fabrications of stories and um i mean i was getting phone calls like oh well somebody said did you hear what danny d did did you hear and oh poor old destiny like look at everything that she's been through and now this and look what danny did and blah 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 and then they were saying all these things with no no facts. And um, it just, um, it was kind of like out of control to hear those things and to hear those things about um, your husband. The Marsoc community suddenly found itself under intense scrutiny and a culture of fear set in. In the years leading up to Danny's incident in Iraq, several special operations groups were involved in high profile scandals involving sexual assault, drugs, and even murder. Our military community was asking the same question as the American public. Were our special operations warfighters getting out of control? Meanwhile, the Marsoc Command distanced itself from the three men in question, including Danny and his family. Not, not one single phone call. So you got to, not that I need their support, but it, it's just like a, a courtesy thing. Like, hey, are you, you guys okay? Because in the, the MARSOC mission statement, when they talk about family, they talk about trust in, in communication. So how do I ever tr trust an organization that can't even get on the phone and be like, hey, are you okay? Or, hey, I know times are rough, but congratulations on your, your new baby that, um, that I had under 
the worst mental conditions. Um, and to see like my husband try to have some joy of like holding his son, but there's always like this gray cloud above him. But he's trying to like escape that moment. And um, I, it's, it's like, it's uh, frustrating. By that time, Danny and the rest of the Marsoc 3 were in judicial limbo, and it was taking a toll on all of them. They were brought up on charges of involuntary manslaughter, negligent homicide, obstruction of justice, and drinking while deployed, in violation of a general order. The command used their situation as an example of how not to act while on liberty. It also removed the Marsoc 3 from their jobs. Danny was left, in Destiny's words, folding towels at a gym on Camp Lejeune. At the beginning, I think he was in shock. He was starting to learn like things were getting taken away from him. And he's like, wait a minute, like you're you're kind of already treating me like I'm an, uh, a criminal. But it was hard for him to enjoy things. And, you know, he kind of stopped doing the things that he loved. Um, you know, it's obviously hard to watch like your loved ones like struggle. And, um, you know, there's times where I think he just completely shut down and, and I can understand those things. So. I don't feel at times he was like really present because how can how can somebody be present when they're thinking about like how am I supposed to take care of my family how how am I supposed to like how do I recover from this and then it doesn't help that he has nobody to turn to like he's not going to go to the command and be like hey I need help how do you go to just how do you go to the command that you're supposed to trust because there, there's no trust there so I think for him, it was really hard because he had no no one to turn to except for um, family. Um, my husband always says this thing where he says, um, joy shared is joy multiplied. Pain shared is pain divided. But he just shares his pain with me. That pain has now lasted over three years. And Destiny isn't optimistic about the chance for a fair trial. Under the military's legal system, the command picks who sits on the jury in a court-martial. And Destiny believes it has chosen people who have been poisoned by the rumor mill. Over and over, court-martials for the Marsoc 3 were postponed, for reasons ranging from COVID, to the availability of foreign witnesses, to requests by the three's own lawyers. We reached out to Marsoc, and the command won't comment further on the subject of delays. A spokesman says they're trying to, quote, preserve the integrity of pending court-martials. But Destiny believes some of the delays are intentional on the part of the Marine Corps. Like, let's just drag it out because one of these three guys will mess up. You know, one will probably drink himself to death, get a DUI, and then we'll be like, yep, there you go. We got him. You know what I mean? Low morals. Right, right, exactly. Maybe one of them will just, like, end their lives and it's just one less thing for us to worry about. Um I don't know. I don't know why you it don't takes know this the long. tactic, but you believe <laughs> no, it is. I believe a tactic. it is. It's like, wait a minute. Like, uh, you can like mission plan something in like forty-eight hours, but you can't figure this out. And on top of all that, Destiny says she still hasn't gotten any real support from the Marsoc community, even though the rumors attacking Danny's character eased a bit when a video emerged in the case. Surveillance footage from the bar in Iraq appears to show Danny with the contractor, Danny's arms by his side, palms facing out. That would tell me, yo, bro, I'm not here to fight you. I mean, I've, I've been told by um, friends uh, that 
their husbands who are in the Raider community can't speak out, can't write a character witness statement because they're scared that something's going to happen to their husbands, that there's going to be a reprimand. And of course, they have families to, t- to take care of too. But the way that I am, because I'm just a person of truth and, and, and standing up for what's right. So you'll sacrifice my family and you'll put my family through this because you don't have the balls to do the right thing is what it boils down to. Like you, uh, you know, I kind of equate it to this. I don't ever want to hear you tell your kids to stand tall, stand proud, to do the right thing because you can't even do the right thing. And this is, it makes me mad because it's, it's, it's the, <laughs> it's the Marine Corps and they, these guys are, are war fighters, but then you, you don't, you, you can't stand up and say the truth. It's okay for you to destroy somebody's character and and our futures. So it it's um it makes you angry. Do you think Danny's character has been taken into account through any of this? Do you think the Marine Corps has even no. paid attention to that? No, because if you look at it on paper and you look at everything that Danny has done, it it just doesn't add up. Like I would think there'd be some common sense, like, okay, if he was like the guy that always got in trouble and trouble and trouble and trouble, and it's like, you have like a stack full of like (laughs) all of his imperfections that he had in the Marine Corps. That's one thing, because let's, you know, like everything's case by case, right? Right. Uh, But no, nobody, nobody's taken this time to be like, oh my God, like, you know, this is a person who's worked at all three battalions. This is a person that did this and that and like, it's just really, really hard because it's like you're taking the one thing that he's built for himself and that's his reputation and you are dragging it through the mud. The whole experience has made Destiny question what the military is really made of. And that hurts because she believes in its ideals, service, camaraderie, and putting others before self. She doesn't want other military families to feel the same disappointment. I come from a long line of family that served and I was raised, I mean, I I was like one of those kids, like if you're playing in the park and you heard the national anthem, you stopped and you faced wherever that music, wherever the music was, right? Like I was raised that way. Like my 4th of July is like meant something. My Memorial Days meant something and they mean that much more to me, but that doesn't apply to like everybody who like wears a uniform. I mean, I have freaking, I have Lady Justice on my arm, like tattooed on my arm, just because what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. This just really resonates with me because one, one, I'm experiencing it. Two, I've been in the military. I've seen really good things and I've seen really, really ugly things. And I've seen probably far more uglier things than I've had good things. Has this affected you? You know, you're a mother of a couple kids. Mm-hmm. Has this affected how you've... Watch your children? Has this affected your yeah. process uh, as a mother? Oh, yeah, of course. You know, like any mom, like the, just the daily stress of like raising kids, you know, and like you sometimes have to put your emotions away. And it's hard because kids aren't stupid. They might not know what's going on, but they feel it. So it, it's almost like unfair that I have to like be that way. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting to have to like, I got to put these emotions to the side because I have to wake up kids in the morning. I got to raise them. I got to discipline them. They, they got to get toted around this and that, you know. And then at night, you're so freaking exhausted. And it's like, but then it's like, you don't want to reflect back on like all this crap. And, and who do you talk to about that? Who do you talk to that's going to understand that? 
Very it, few people. Very few. And then like for me, it's just, it's it's layers, you know, because then it brings me back to a place of like, God, like I'm not going to lose another husband over this. Yeah. Um, I'm not comparing the two. Uh, I've already lost one. And now it's like I'm I'm watching pretty much my husband's career getting like massacred right now, like in front of my eyes, and as as like a slow death. Do you, do you feel like that first incident more or less prepared you for what you're going through now? Maybe not the incident itself, but the resilience that you've built. Do you feel like that's helped you? Yes, because I honestly feel like it couldn't have not been anybody but me in this situation. Like, uh, you know perspective i'm here and i'm part of danny's life for this very reason when you're already like when you've been at the lowest of low you and like losing somebody you love um i I don't think there's anything lower than that so this is just another fight that i'm willing to fight Destiny says speaking her truth has helped her survive the long wait for justice. As for Danny, he's formulating his exit plan from the military. He even started his own security consulting business. One of the Marsoc 3 had his case thrown out in February, after a judge found the command interfered with his case. Destiny says that bodes well for Danny. But for now, he's still navigating military courts. If convicted, he could face over 20 years of confinement. But Destiny believes... Even if Danny is cleared of all charges and walks away with full retirement, her family will lose. Because the trial and the story about it will always follow them. This is Out of Uniform. Conversations with vets about their lives before, during, and after service. I'm the host, Tim Kolzak, an Army combat veteran. Our executive producer and editor is Carson Frame, with help from Adam Kulikov and Cindy Carpian. The theme music was written by Jacob Rizzotti, who also sound designs the show. Out of Uniform is a co-production of The Veterans Project and Texas Public Radio. You can see photographs and read stories of these veterans at thevetsproject.com. If you or someone you know may be considering suicide, contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or the crisis text line by texting HOME to 741-741.